This podcast may contain graphic and or explicit content that may not be suitable for some listeners, especially kids like me. <laughs> Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Real Life Podcast brought to you by the Thin Blue Line for Women. In this podcast, We open up and talk about real-life issues as they relate to first responders. It's raw, it's real, and it's about time. I'm Tamara, your host. Thanks for joining me. The Real Life Podcast now has listeners in Canada, Ireland, the UK, New Zealand, Saudi Arabia, Australia, the Philippines, Lebanon, Israel, Sweden, Argentina, Morocco, Germany, and of course the United States. I want to take this time right now to thank all of my listeners because without you, the Real Life Podcast would not exist. So thank you for clicking on the YouTube link. Thank you for clicking on the anchor links. Thank you for clicking on all the other platforms, Spotify, Google, Apple, everything that it's available in. I really appreciate all of you. And I do also appreciate every single follower out there who is supporting the real life podcast monetarily with just as little as 99 cents a month, you can support the real life podcast. And what that money goes to is it pays directly to the program that I use to interview the guests. That program is not free. So that money goes to that program. And I really sincerely appreciate all that. So again, thank you listeners for clicking on the links that I post on social media. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reaching out to all of the guests who have been on the show and talking with them and thanking them for their interviews. I really appreciate all of you. Exactly. I mean, otherwise, this real life podcast would not exist. So thank you. Don't forget, you can listen to the real life podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and on YouTube. Thank you for joining us. In today's podcast episode, I talk with Sean Riley, a former law enforcement officer whose 20 year career in law enforcement ended in 2005 when he could no longer hide his secret behind the badge. In this episode, he gets raw and real and talks about his own personal story, as well as some tragic details about his best friend. So get yourself in a good space, maybe get a drink or a snack, but hang on because this story and these words that he's going to tell are going to grip you. They're going to grab at your heartstrings and you need to hear them. So sit back and relax and listen to Sean Riley talk about how the safe call now was born. Hey, Sean, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. This is going to be a very, very important episode. And especially in this crucial time with what's going on in America, it's going to be a perfect episode for everyone to listen to. So we're going to talk about Safe Call Now. Can you talk about what Safe Call Now is? Like what, what, tell the listeners what it's all about. Well, Safe Call Now is a 24-hour hotline for first responders and their family members that may be struggling with any issues that impact their personal and professional lives. You know, and with the way things are going in today's society, there's so much that is happening to these first responders emotionally, physically, that we've built out a system to provide services and help nationwide um, that's completely protected confidentiality-wise to get them to the resources that they need. You know, and get them there fast. It's there's not a lot of gap, not a lot of wait time. We are going to move. We're going to move real fast because we know you need the help. Number one, but even more importantly, you deserved it and you earned it. 
Oh, so you said nationwide. So it's not only in the United States. Well, it's 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 nationwide. It's the U.S. and I mean, Canada calls us at times. We get requests from around. We we never turn anybody away. We're going to do the best we can. Mm-hmm. But in, in the U.S. itself is where we're really focused hard. Okay. Now, how does someone in crisis call you? Is it is it just phone calls, or is there an in person session? What how does what does that look like? No, it is a phone call um, to obviously 206-459-3020 is the hotline number. You can also contact us off of our website, which is safecallnowusa.org, and email us through that website to get help. But what we find out, everyone you know, is really big on technology. And don't get me wrong, technology is great. But there's an old saying, people respect sometimes high touch versus high tech. Oh, I like that. Okay. So is there a way for them to text in to Safe Call Now or is it always a phone call then? It's always a phone call. And the reason why we did that that way is because I worked off of my personal experience and whether it's through telehealth or whether it's through technology, technology allows me to hide a lot of things that I wouldn't be able to normally hide if I'm either face-to-face or voice-to-voice with somebody. Mm Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Now, you say it's anonymous, and but I, I'm wondering if a lot of people out there don't call because they're afraid that it's truly not anonymous. So how, how do you provide that anonymity? Oh, I can't even say that word. How do you confirm that every call is anonymous so that people can well, be confident that their call is anonymous? You know, coming from the police side, if there's a database, then that means information's being collected, correct? I mean, we, we know that no matter what, right. we can try to guarantee and say that something's confidential. So we did the best we could. In 2009, we passed legislation in the state of Washington that guaranteed confidentiality. And what it did was it ended up protecting the other 49 states. And so we oh, okay. grew by... We grew by demand and not by choice because we had that level of confidentiality that the other states don't have and that protects right. them. So then we knew that, A, then when they do call, we don't keep records. There's no reason for us to keep records. We just have a person on the other end of the line that needs help and wants help. Now, do they usually tell us everything? Yeah, they usually tell us everything because they're just happy someone's actually listening and that can get them help right. immediately. So we don't need to know your name. We just need to know basically, you know, an area, especially if it's like local resources, you know, that in general area, we don't need to know where you work. We don't need to know your profession. We don't need to know any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you can't even confirm really who's on the other line, if they're a police officer or not. No. Right. And and you know what? We, I got to say in 11 years, we, we, we haven't been prankstered or anything. It's people who actually just wow. want help. And, and sometimes the general population does find us and, and we don't turn them away. We're just going to help people. That's right. all we do. Yeah. Now who mans the, the telephones? Can you tell us about that? It's, it's all either current first responders, retired first responders or former first responders, but they're all people who have usually been through what you've already been through and whether it's been through treatment, some of them have attempted suicide, they're back on the jobs, they're there because they, they're taking their personal experience to help other people and they volunteer their time. They're absolutely 100% amazing. Wow. What kind of training do they have to do to man the phones? Well, you know, that's the funny thing. People ask us about that all the time. And I, I tell them, you know, you got to remember the people that answer our phone usually all have 20 or 30 years on. So they're used to referring number one. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. what they've done for a living. Number two is they've got their own personal experience. Then they go through our uh, mandatory training at Safe Call Now, and then they have additional training that goes on. They're very, very highly qualified, and I would like to say that they're they're the best call takers in the country because they're so well trained, you know, and especially from their personal experience. There's nothing that can replace personal experience. You know, you can have somebody that's, you know, I don't know, 20 years old who has no experience and be, be given the best training in the world on how to handle a crisis over the phone. But if you if you can't relate to them personally and deeply, I think it's a whole other ballgame, right? Oh, I agree 100%. I mean, that's how yeah. we connect with people on the phone. Right. 
is yeah. is through our personal experience. They, they're not really looking for that PhD. They want to be able to talk to somebody that's not going to give them book answers. It's going to give them their uh -huh. actual personal experience. Yeah. They can say, hi, I really, truly do understand what you're going through. I've been there. Yeah, exactly. I've been in your shoes. Yeah. So when you when you say that someone's going to call in and you're going to and the call taker is going to give them resources, what what type of resources do they offer or do well, the safe call offer? Well, you know, the law says that we will deal with financial issues, domestic violence, substance abuse, mental health and any other personal crisis that impacts their personal or professional life. Now, if okay. I redid that law all over again, I would have probably stuck to the first four because what that mm -hmm. did, it made us build a nationwide system for everything from babysitting to suicide. Because if you think about it, you know, there's a lot of single parents out there that are first responders and you work shift work, you know, that's that's really hard emotionally, you know, or you have to pick up fine, uh, you know, finances for overtime and uh, to pay for child care. And one of the leading mm -hmm. causes of, of first responder suicide is financial issues. So you mm -hmm. have to build oh, yeah. all those resources out. Yeah. Gosh. So so where did the idea for Safe Call now come from? Can you tell your story, your personal story? Yeah, it came from my personal experience. So I was a police officer for almost 20 years in San Diego County Sheriff's Department, the Kirkland Police Department. And, um, you know, I was going along in my career, but I was out with the boys and girls. And I had some incidents at the beginning that were traumatic. And, um, you know, I moved back up to Washington to um, lateral up to be closer to my family and home. And um, uh, I did everything I was supposed to in life, I guess, you know, um, get married, have two kids, have a house, have a family, white picket fence. And, and, you know, everything was just going on, going well at work. And then, uh, I actually, I actually went through a, uh, a divorce, which was a real butt kicker for me. I mean, that really, that really hit my ego pretty hard because, you know, I don't like to admit that I have faults and I don't like to admit that I'm wrong on things. And, mm -hmm. and I want to be seen in a certain way. And, you know, that's the way I was. And, it, it was very difficult. And so I was always a heavy drinker and I was drinking like crazy. So I thought I'd stop drinking and, you know, really work on the outside of myself and get in the bodybuilding and everything. And the reality of it was, was my inside was all messed up. My thinking just, you know, yeah, right. experiences and then job experiences just came to a head and I ended up having surgery and I got addicted to Vicodin and, mm. I, I ran on Vicodin pretty hard and, and any other pill I could get my hands on for about five years. And then um, I was doctor shopping and, and uh, the chief uh, got word of it. He didn't know what to do. And uh, he turned me into the DEA and I ended up getting indicted by the federal government while I was still a police officer. Oh, but wow. you know what? I, I was a hundred percent guilty and, you know, I wasn't going to change my behavior at that time because I didn't know how. I was searching. I was going through employee assistance. Um, I, I look back and, uh, you know, Chief Stan Aston saved my life because I wasn't going to change. I needed that. And it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. Um, and the federal government has been phenomenal to me. Wow. I was sentenced to three years of probation. I got off early in two. They helped me start this nonprofit, Safe Call Now. Wow. I went there and I said, hey, I think I know a better way to do this from my personal experience. Because I went to employee assistance and employee assistance, you know, I had to go to human resources first, get that number, then go to employee assistance. <laughs> And then they gave me a bunch of numbers and then I had to call those numbers. Yeah. The second call, I was done, you know? So right, I was, yeah. all I wanted to do was just talk to somebody in the mm -hmm. middle that I could just say, Hey, here's what's going on, man. I need help. Will you right. understand? And that's, that's where the idea came from. And I went to the Lieutenant governor of the state of Washington because he's a real, he was a real big supporter of law enforcement. I said, here's my idea. And he said, what do you want? And I said, $500 and a cell phone. Then he said, you're thinking way too small. And then we passed the legislation and the rest is history. Wow. $500 and a cell phone. That's all you wanted to start the business, to start yep. your safe call now? Yeah, that's it. Wow. That's amazing. What a great story. 
Thank you. So, so, so now all, all people have to do if, if they want to talk to somebody is log on to safecallnowusa.org and the number is there. Correct. And, and what's the number again? 206-459-3020. And people, you know, they, they ask the question, why don't you use a 1-800 number? Well, I, mean, I wondered here, the same thing. <laughs> well, here, here comes, here comes the cop side out jumping again on, on the confidentiality. We, we make it very clear that once that call hits that 206 number, Washington courts take jurisdiction over that call in case anybody wants to try and get something. Oh, so we okay. left it. But ironically, that was my personal phone number back then because I didn't have any money. And so it was my personal phone number as the hotline to start it. And then finally, it just, you know, it started doing so well that I had to give up my my that number. Wow. Well, yeah, you don't want to change it when people start memorizing it. Right. That's that's Dave Colnell's number. Yeah. Yep. But. It makes now, it very. It makes it very clear that that where those courts, if somebody wants to challenge it, it, it sits right there, and we make no bones about it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna we're gonna talk about um, an incident that happened with your best friend, Officer Kevin Murphy. Um, so hold on, hold on, everyone. This is going to be a hard ride. We'll be right back. Are you interested in CSI or forensics? The Forensic Science Academy program has been recognized as the premier training program completely dedicated to students who are launching their forensic career. The Academy offers specialized hands-on training modules in basic and advanced crime scene investigation, forensic photography, fingerprint identification and classification, crime scene management, and coroner investigations. Instruction is offered in the form of weekend workshops, online courses, webinars, and seminars. Training at the Academy of Forensic Science will give students the competitive edge employers and agencies are looking for when hiring. Past graduates are now working as crime scene investigators, private investigators, forensic pathologists, coroner investigators, forensic nurses, forensic accountants, and even criminalists. The courses are taught by forensic professionals who are experts in the field and hold membership in the International Association for Identification and other professional forensic organizations. For more information, visit ForensicScienceAcademy.org. Again, that's ForensicScienceAcademy.org. And we're back with Sean. Now, Sean, you said you have a story to tell about your best friend, Officer Kevin Murphy. Yeah. And I'm hearing this story for the first time. So go ahead and uh, take the floor. So, you know, we deal with suicide and suicide ideation all the time. And one of the first people I met, and it was in 2010, was my best friend, Kevin Murphy from Henderson Police Department in Nevada. And he and I just became friends. Our families became friends. And uh, cop. He works. He worked a uh, police employee assistance program there, and we just were always in contact, and we we're kind of each other's support system. And we would run things by each other when we had, you know, incidents going on. Hey, what would you do in this case? You know, what resource do you have here? And we'd switch back and forth, and we would train together. And I always loved going to Las Vegas because I'd always get to see Kevin. And, you know, I know his family very, very well. And I remember in um, uh, October of 2015, um, I'm sorry, 2016, that uh, I was in Arizona and um, I get a call from Chris White, my other buddy with Henderson PD that works with Kevin. But usually if something is going on in Henderson, then usually Kevin will always call me and I'll see I'll see his number pop up. And even if it's from Chris, Chris will usually go through Kevin and they call me. And I just saw Chris's number and I thought, well, that's funny, but maybe Chris just wants to talk. And he said, I got on the phone and he said, Sean, Sean. And I was like, what, what's up brother? And he just said, you know, Kevin killed himself. And I, and of course, what, what did, what what did I do? I mean, here's my best friend who helped me start Safe Call Now, be part of Safe Call Now, that knows every resource in the book out there that runs a police employee assistance program, shot and killed himself on the way to work. 
Oh my goodness. And so it's, it, so. it just, I mean, it literally brought me to my knees. I remember exactly where I was in Arizona. I remember how hot it was and, and I was getting ready to present, um, uh, at some training. And I mean, it just literally brought me at my knees and, you know, oh, I, yeah. I didn't know what to say. And I mean, what do you say? And, and what do you say? There's nothing, there's nothing I can, because I can't make any sense out of it. And, and, and to, to this day, you know, I, I deal with suicide all the time, but I deal with other people's suicide. I don't, mm-hmm, yeah. I don't deal with my own, my own stuff. And that's, that's what makes it really difficult. And sometimes that's, that's the part I'm really good at helping other people because I can stay third party and objective and I don't mm-hmm. actually attached, but when it's yeah. something that's close to me, I'm, I'm just not very good at that at all. What year did that happen? 2016. So that was only four years ago. Yeah. So it's so, so fresh still. How, how are you continually healing from his death? And being honest, I'm being honest, I'm, I'm not, you know, it's, it's one of the most devastating things that has ever happened to me. And I know his family very well, his kids and his wife and you know, at first I, I remember, and luckily I have a really good board of directors because they, they all knew Kevin too. And all my friends knew Kevin. So they called me and they were really, you know, I look back, it's kind of ironic. They were, they were going, uh, so what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm getting resources ready for Henderson. I'll get SISM set up for him. You know, I'll bring in whatever counselors they need. And they go, wow, that's really great that you're doing all that. But here's what we're going to tell you right now. You're done. You know, you're, you're out of this game right now. And I was shocked. I said, what are you talking about? This is what we do for, uh, this is what we do. And they go, no, no, you, they said, you have an organization. That's what it does. You are personally done and you're out of this situation. And it was the best thing that they did that to me. Um, You know, trying to make understanding, I guess you're supposed to go through these different stages of healing. Um, You know, honestly, Mm -hmm. I've I've buried my head and, and Chris and I are, going to have the opportunity we thought it was going to be this month but covid went back up it'll be next month for the first time to sit down and talk about it that he and i can actually try to process it because i still uh-huh. it, it hurts so bad that i'm i i'm just being honest i'm, I'm in denial on it in total denial i bet i bet i can i i hear you <laughs> i mean i i can tell you how to handle it i just don't know how to tell myself how to handle it. right yeah isn't that strange well, <laughs> we're so good at telling other people what to do and how to handle their problems and yeah, it, wow. I, I just, I, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, one of the things I opened up, I remember my Facebook on Thanksgiving, you know, Cameron, his son wrote me and, and said, you know, I miss you. And, you know, um, me and my dad are really proud of you. And I was like, wow, man, it just brought me to tears. Oh. And so yeah, I, I, in fact, when I first went back to Las Vegas afterwards, I remember Cameron, I went out to, I took the kids out to dinner and the kids are, I call them kids because they're younger than me, but you know, they're yeah. and above. And I remember we sitting in the car and I was like, you know, there's that awkward silence. I said, so what do we call it? I mean, what, what do we call what Kevin did? Did he take his life? Is it suicide? Is it, did he leave yeah. us? I mean, we, we were that basic that we were that lost. No, I, I, I can't even imagine that. And and his wife's a therapist. And, and his wife is a therapist and his wife, uh, Leticia, um, is a former corrections officer. So, I mean, we're all just I, I don't know what like, like, how did this how did this slip through our fingers? Like, how did we not know? Like, right. That like, were you questioning yourself? Yeah, a little because I remember the last time I talked to him and I thought he was tired. And so I asked the question to myself. Mm. You know, should have I asked that one more question? Because I always do it on the phone. But you know, it's Kev. I know his moods. He knows yeah. my moods, and and we know when those things happen. So, but I remember he just seemed overly tired for the for the mm. that I that I hadn't seen for a while. And so I just thought, okay, I'll call him back in a couple of days. You know, I'm on the road. Let me just reconnect with him, and we'll go from there. Unbelievable. You know, and and. And I, I wrote a blog on it on that armor on our armorupnow.org. I wrote mm-hmm, a blog mm-hmm. on it and I I was trying to understand why it was bothering me so much. And um, mm-hmm. I, I had to really take a take a look deep down inside of myself. And I I was really, really selfish. And I said this at his funeral because I got to speak at his funeral that um, 
you know, what hurt me the most was, is I didn't get to say goodbye to him. Everything was on his terms or the terms of a person with a hijacked brain that wasn't thinking clearly because he would never do Mm -hmm. this thinking clearly and selfishly that hurt. And I don't know how to deal with it. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, so do you think you were angry with him? No, you know, I still haven't been mad to this day. And I, you know, and so that's why I know I'm not healing from it because there's going to be a come a time where I'm going to become angry at him for what he did. I'm not going to be angry at him for who he was, but I'll be angry. And I haven't Mm -hmm. gotten to that point even after all these years. And I don't know when it's going to happen. It'll probably happen at a totally inappropriate time, like sitting on a plane in public where I finally lose it. (laughs) Oh, gosh. So what, okay, what advice would you give yourself then? So if someone else calls safe call now and, and this exact same scenario happens to them, what advice would you give them or how would you help them through something like this? Well, first of all, I want them to understand, you know, the person that actually um, completed the act is, is not probably not the same person that, you know, are dealing with because they're, they're not thinking correctly. You know, no people aren't a coward. They aren't this or that. What I'm, what I would tell people is you're going to have to take your own path on this one from my personal experience, because there is no cookie cutter one on how you feel. Maybe some people are doing better at at Kevin's death Mm -hmm. than I am. I don't know. And maybe some are doing worse. I, I don't know, yeah. but they're going to have to take their own path. And quite frankly, the path I'm finding out is is not what Kevin did wrong. It's 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 trying to deal with all the things that bother me on the inside, so then I can better understand what happened to him. So I have mm-hmm. to get the focus off of him and on me. Yeah, that's that's good. I, I like that. It still doesn't make it any easier, though. I mean, I, I don't think you're ever going to be like healed from it. I don't, I don't believe anyone's ever completely healed. Do you? Yeah, I don't. I think you just continually, you know, I, you know, I I wonder, I mean, I just thought about this the other day. I mean, I didn't know this question was going to be asked. I had no idea, but, um, you know, I, you know, at what point, I mean, I, you know, I still have his obituary on my phone. I still have his phone number in my phone, you know, what part of the healing process do I let that go and, and delete it? Not his memory, but, you know, the reality, what does that look right. like? And and right now, I'm not ready to do that. And that's okay. Yeah, I'm just not ready. That's totally fine, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's okay. Well, thank you for sharing that story. That was hard, too, and your own earlier. So to sum up, Safe Call Now's vision, I'm going to read this from your website, I believe. Safe Call Now's vision is to provide education, healthy alternatives, I'll reiterate healthy alternatives and resources to save lives and put families back together. Amen. Right. Absolutely. Amen. So for people listening right now, can listeners volunteer to be on the phone and be working for safe call now? Absolutely. Can they volunteer for that? Absolutely. We love our volunteer corps. I mean, they are the backbone. They would make, they are the ones that make it go. What um, they need to, uh, do is they can go to the website and you can see volunteer opportunities and they can click on that. And we, we have a vetting process and we have a training process. You know, we want to make sure that, you know, people are healthy enough because you, you can, a lot of times people will get healthy and uh, including myself is no one's immune to this and you really want to go out and help others. But I, I need some really good time under your belt of being healthy to help others mm-hmm. or uh, you will revert or relapse. I've, I've seen it over, yeah. over and over again. You know, we want that solid foundation and we want to provide that opportunity. And sometimes people who have been in the same situation as me, whether they're a firefighter, corrections officer, maybe had a criminal charge, but have changed their lives, you know, um, they have an incredible experience because that's what our organization is about, is about second chance. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. we don't judge. You know, I, I remember some people, have said to us in the past, they go, I can't believe you helped that person, you know, because they didn't like what they did. 
And I said, well, here's the beautiful thing about our organization is, is um, we don't get to judge anybody. We just get to help them all. We don't pick and choose. Absolutely. And Absolutely. And who, who are, that, that makes me upset. That upsets me. <laughs> uh, well, you know, people are opinionated. I mean, it's just the way it is. Yeah. But we're going to try to help them all, whether we agree or not, because that's what we agreed to do. And trust me, absolutely. The call that don't agree with me, and I don't agree with them, but we're going to help you. Period. Mm-hmm. It's the way it works. So, so they can get on safecallnowusa.org and click on volunteer opportunities. And how can listeners donate to Safe Call Now? There's a there's a place also on our website to go ahead and and give donations. Um, we are a nonprofit, and and, you know, that money goes towards um, keeping those phone lines open, the trainings, different things that we, you know, do out there. We, we, we have diversified quite a bit as we, we consult with people, we train with people, we work with companies to try to put in solutions to better um, their systems, better cities and better agencies. So that I, I guess our goal is, my goal has always been at the beginning, I remember the lieutenant governor asked me, so what's your end goal? And I said, to run us out of business. If we run us out of business, then that means everyone's taken care of. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Now, I remember when uh, I tried to get an interview with you back in March or April when COVID was going on and you kept telling me, no, no, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. People are calling. And, and, and I've, I, I mean, I guess that's good that you were able to help people, but it made me sad at the same time because all those people were calling and they needed help. Well, so, so it, it kind of, you know, we got a, We've had a two hundred and fifty percent increase on our um, oh, our hotline. And the thing about it is, though, is see, we were built for this, and so this worked mm-hmm. out really well. We were extremely prepared. You know, our resources, and and we've been through crisis before. Unfortunately, we learned a really hard lesson uh, with Lakewood when the four officers from Lakewood were killed because mm-hmm. no one had seen that in the mm-hmm. country before. And we saw the impact yeah. and what that was like in the years it took to work with that department and the resources needed. So when COVID hit, it, it was just, it was on a much bigger scale, but we were so prepared for it. It wasn't even, you know, funny. It, 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 it was easy. It actually was very easy. Once the riots have hit too, this is very easy for us. This is what we were designed to do. Wow. Gosh. So your phone call is 206-459-3020. Correct. That's how people can get a hold of you. Absolutely. Okay. We're going to take another quick break and I want you to introduce Vanessa to the listeners. So we'll be right back. Okay. Are you looking for Thin Blue Line gear? It's available on our website at thinbluelineforwomen.com. That's thinblueline, the number four, women.com. Show your support for law enforcement and get your Thin Blue Line gear today. Just click on shop at thinbluelineforwomen.com. Have you ever wondered what being a part of CSI is really like? If so, here's your chance to experience it. My book titled Through My Eyes, CSI Memoirs That Haunt the Soul, contains 11 personal accounts of the most grueling and heartbreaking crime scenes I worked during my 15 years in the Crime Scene Investigations Unit. While reading my book, you'll walk inside the crime scene tape with me. You'll catch a glimpse of what I saw, touched, smelled, and even tasted during an average workday. I'll take you on a difficult journey of memories, uncovering layers of emotional trauma left behind. So if you're considering a job in CSI, this is the book for you. Or if you're just wondering what it's like to work in CSI, again, this is the book for you. Through My Eyes is available in the ebook format and paperback on Amazon. All right, we're back from break, and I want to introduce Vanessa to everybody. I just got to meet her for the first time. So, hi, Vanessa. Hi, How I'm are good, you? I'm good. Thank you. So, tell tell everyone who you are. So, I run an organization um, here in West Virginia called Armor Up West Virginia, and we help first responders and their families in crisis. And we utilize the Safe Call Now hotline as our main resource. Nice. Okay. So how did you two meet then? Uh, 
safe call now came first and then armor up or, or did you guys like, how, how old is your armor up? Like, when did you, so armor up is, um, we'll be two years old. Actually, we're celebrating two years this, um, this month. And congratulations. We're very excited. We have an awesome team. We formed our organization after, um, my own trauma, I actually ended up reaching out to Safe Call Now through a friend. I was married to a police officer who was shot in the line of duty, and that led to severe PTSD, um, alcohol abuse, drug use, and eventually two attempted suicides. And the last suicide attempt, also there was um, there were issues there. I had stopped him previously in the week from suicide. And so he decided that he had to um, get rid of me also to complete that suicide. And by the grace of God, I had reached out to another friend, another police officer who was shot in the line of duty that morning and said, you know, we're struggling. I'd sent a picture of him watching the TV that was turned off. Mm -hmm. And thank God they saw that and immediately came to my house because it ended up saving my life. And they called a friend of ours, Melissa Littles, who runs the police wife life because we just didn't know what to do. And Melissa Littles called Safe Call Now and put me on the phone with Sean Riley, who had him in a plane wow. within 24 hours going to treatment. So that's wow. That's Amazing. how we met. And then it just went downhill from there. <laughs> Wait, which... Which part went downhill? You two? I think it all, all did at that point yes, in time. Yes. It was, you know, it, it was like I tell people a lot of times is, is we're so focused on what's going on and on the line and moving because there's so many mm-hmm. moving parts that, you know, I, and again, being, you know, honest here is, is I say, okay, I've got another wife here who thinks her husband's going to kill her. Let me work on him and the treatment mm-hmm. and we'll deal with the other stuff later, uh-huh. you know, settle down the situation. In other words, I, I just, took it with a grain of salt. I didn't put, put, put much mm-hmm. weight on it. And um, lo and behold, I, things were going well. And um, they asked me to come out and train. And it's like, why do I want to come to West Virginia? I'm thinking in my mind, there's nothing in West Virginia <laughs> for me. And so, uh, but they were persistent and it's like, okay, I, I agreed. And so two weeks before I got out here to train, Vanessa, who coordinates all the training, brings all the people in from around the state, calls me up and just lights me up. (laughs) I did. How dare you break up marriages? How dare you? And I'm like, I don't even know you. And, and it was, it was crazy. And so I was like, I ended up calling the treatment center and said, Hey, I don't know what you got to do, but you got to get this lady off my phone and you got to get these people back together, (laughs) figure out something because I don't know them. So just do figure out what you got to figure out. But for some, some reason, I'm caught in the middle of this thing. <laughs> he was. So in, in, so in treatment, he did well for a little while. Um, you know, when you're in treatment, you have to make some choices to do the work to get better. And some people do and some people don't. You have to want to get better. And he didn't. He wasn't. He quit going to his therapy sessions. He met a girl in rehab that he decided to run off with. And when I got that phone call, I was livid. And one of the things that Armor Up West Virginia does that I'm most proud of is we help the family of the first responder because our family mm-hmm. didn't get any help. We, okay. the kids and I right. were here okay. just suffering after all of this trauma. And he's out there in the best facility in the country with the best help there is course he wasn't taking the help but he still had the option to Uh and so I'm still unhealthy and when he called I was so used to defending his actions and and being that police wife protecting him because you know when Mm -hmm. he was here in PTSD I never wanted him to lose his job and I lied and I didn't tell them how bad the abuse was so when he was out running with this girlfriend immediately I blamed everyone around him instead of him I mean, that's how unhealthy mm-hmm. and sick that I was. And so right, I blamed yeah. Sean, who moved him into treatment. I blamed the facility who did the best they could with him and didn't see it for what it was, which was him not having any accountability. 
So we still had a training to do together because we were forming Armor Up West Virginia and John uh-huh. still had to come and speak here after us. So I tried delicately, to, I, 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 <laughs> delicately told him I didn't like him. <laughs> and I tried calling everybody. I, I tried to actually get other speakers to go and no one would go. And, I, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just so mad. I wouldn't even pick him up from the airport. I sent a pastor to pick him up from the airport. Wow. <laughs> he drove me to church. But, but. <laughs> Joe, he's yeah, ready to church. church. <laughs> That's how we do things here. <laughs> yes. And I had this big speaker's yep. dinner prepared for this conference and I did not want to deal with him. So I called the sheriff's department and the fire department and I, they were supposed to go to dinner with him. So I didn't have to, I was going to be there, but amidst all of the sheriff department and fire department, I wouldn't have to actually talk to him. An hour before dinner, the sheriff's department calls and says, oh, our gun qualifications are expired. And the sheriff sent out a mandated order. Everybody has to go out in an hour to qualify our guns. And I'm like, excuse me, that's not funny. This speaker is here. And they're like, listen, the sheriff sent the mandate out. We we have to show up. So I said, that's fine. I still have the fire department. We're good. Fire department called at 15 till and said, we're on a wreck on the interstate on a fatality and we're not going to be able to make dinner. And I said, listen, there better be a fatality (laughs) on that road because if not, I'm coming out there. (laughs) And sure enough, I had to go get Sean for this, for dinner. And she was late. (laughs) But but that's now, Oh gosh. Oh, that's my pet peeve. Yeah. She was, she was late three minutes late. And I was like, this is crazy. And then I had to go with her and then I got in there and we, Went to dinner and ironically, you know, she was halfway like, you know, being nice. And I was like, okay. Very nice. And so um, (laughs) I started training and sometimes over days of training, you know, when you start doing them eight, 10 hours, you know, I'll get tired. And um, uh, during one of the breaks, she said, would you mind if I speak? And I said, no, absolutely. I, I could use a break. And she got up there and she started saying some things. And I couldn't remember exactly what it was, but it dawned on me. I was like, oh, my gosh, we got this wrong. She was right the whole time. We had to swallow a pill. And so I did a little bit of research. I called the treatment center. I said, you better get get her some help right now because we screwed this up. You helped both both of them because she was right and and we messed it up. And so, you know, you got to swallow that pill and, and go do what's right. It sounds like God's divine intervention letting you to me. Yes. I, it, it was really, once we got past that, it took a few months after that. Um, yeah. yeah. Once you got past, <laughs> that. Got past that and our organizations were working together and I did get mm-hmm. help. And, you know, the therapist that worked with both of myself and my ex helped me to see that I was an enabler, first of all, but second of all that um, I had a choice to make and I could either, stay unhealthy with him, or I could choose to get healthy myself and get my children healthy. And that's what I chose to do. And Safe Call Now supported me in that. And as our organization started helping more people, it put Sean and I together at conferences and events where we were able to really understand each other from a different perspective. And Mm -hmm. yeah, That's we sat nice. down at dinner one night and he said, all these years I've been doing this and I never thought about the families. And it oh, really, wow. it helped our organizations. But as people, I think it helped us in general to grow together. And we just, you know, yeah. we really connected. And what is your relationship today? <laughs> Go ahead. We, we're engaged. <laughs> Congratulations. I'm so, I'm so Congratulations. How mean she was to me at the beginning. I still have a few So Sean has a hard time of letting Oh, go. I don't let go of anything. Amen, but- girl. <laughs> Amen. It's <laughs> now I'm I know this is all funny, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and hit on something that I think is important um and serious. Um let's see if I can get this out right. So So you, Sean, so she called, she called safe call now. 
And she had an issue with not herself, but with her husband at the time. And, and yeah, you, you didn't know how to help the family because that wasn't your, that's not safe calls mission. It's the, the mission is to help the person that's in the crisis at that moment. And so you, so you did that and you thought that you were doing everything, you know, right. And you were, but the, the most important thing I want to point out is that, that for all the listeners at home, they're listening just because you get your friend or your wife or spouse or, or somebody help from any organization, whether it be safe call now or, or anybody, if that person does not end up healed or changed or have the outcome that you want, it is, it is not that, that person, it's not safe call now's fault. It's not the organization's fault. That person has to help themselves ultimately, or it's not going to work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you've got to come down and, you know, I think that's one of the things we talk about. I, I always talk about now people on the phone because now we go after family systems because it does no good to get one person healthy and, and put them into a, a system that's bad for mm-hmm. anybody. Everybody loses in that. But I, I call it front loading. Yeah. How do we front load people to get them to want to get the help? Look, you're calling the crisis line. So there's obviously a problem. But how do we get you to mm-hmm. really, I, you know, your best thinking got you where you're at. So I'm not really worried about your thinking. I'm going after your heart. And and what do we got to do to change yeah. that? And change your view and you know are you a teachable soul that can actually going to give up control in this situation you're going to have a great life if you're not willing to i can tell you the outcome right now i already know what that looks like because i've been down that road that's that's an easy one i always tell people you know well what's treatment going to do for me and it's like i don't know It, it can do a lot but i'll tell you what if you don't go i can already tell you what that picture looks like i can guarantee you that one yeah yeah Right. And their their treatment outcome is solely going to depend on their willingness to do the work. I mean, people think you go Mm -hmm. to treatment and it's this magic cure and it is not like that. It is work. And it's very, very rewarding and worth it if you will do what you need to do to get better, whether it's PTSD, Mm -hmm. whether it's addiction, it doesn't matter. You have to put that work into yourself. That's something that I learned with my own PTSD from, from what we went through. If I don't do the work myself, it does me zero good to go to therapy because it's not her job to fix me. It's my job to fix me. She's just guiding me in that journey. And the same with treatment. It's not their job to fix you. It's your job, but they're going to guide you if you'll just do what they ask. Mm -hmm. And families and friends need to remember that it's so important to not blame anybody else yes. if it doesn't work out the way they wanted it to. Because, yes. Yeah, you, yes. you did. And you know, I had that karma come back to bite me the other day. Yeah. Yeah. We had sent a, a first responder into treatment and he and his wife were in a very toxic relationship as happens when you have PTSD and addiction. And that's why we now treat the families And so she had messaged me, he left the house and he was angry and he told her he was leaving for good, but really we had set up treatment for him and that's where he was going. So he, he was angry about that and on his way to treatment, just berated her. And so she had texted me and asked Mm -hmm. me, you know, if I knew where he was. And at that time, my son was on a mission trip and COVID had just erupted and I'm trying to get my son back in the country mm-hmm. and I'm trying to work on my own PTSD that was triggered from this trip. And I, so I didn't answer her right away. I called the facility and said, you know, he didn't tell the wife where he's going. Somebody needs to handle that. Um, and the therapist worked with him on that. I don't think they called her immediately though. And so she lit me up about a month later and said, you know, you didn't tell me where my husband was and I hate you and you're this and you're that. And I, so you got to, and he's doing well, but she didn't get the help that she needed. And so she's still in that role of blaming people around him. Instead of saying, Mm -hmm. I'm angry at him for not telling me where he was going. She's angry at, at us for not telling where he was going. And you you can see how the families get so dysfunctional, even myself, so dysfunctional Mm -hmm. that we don't see the situation for what it is. 
Right. Exactly. I super appreciate both of you coming on today and telling all, all these stories. I mean, it's amazing. It's just thank you for opening up your hearts and be, being willing to, to talk to the listeners today about these things. They're very important issues. So I'm going to reiterate one more time, safe call now if you need to talk to anybody. Um, safe call now is the place to call. And again, Sean, give us the website. Give us the phone number. The website is safecallnowusa.org and the phone number is 206-459-3020. Sean and Vanessa, it was a pleasure speaking with both of you today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was great meeting you. You too. If you're struggling with thoughts of suicide, you don't have to be alone. You can make a confidential, safe call now at this phone number, 206-459-3020. Safe Call Now is a confidential 24-hour crisis referral service for all public safety employees, all emergency services personnel, and their families. Again, the number is 206 459 3020. You can also call Copline at 1 800 267 5463. If you're not a first responder, you can reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1 800 273 8255. That's 1 800 273 TALK. You don't have to be alone. The Real Life Podcast was recorded and is being made available by Anchor.fm and its affiliates, solely for the informational and entertainment purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided and or expressed on the Real Life Podcast are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers, and are responsible for all show content and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the agencies and communities that the guests may serve. Some parts of the Real Life Podcast may contain adult content intended for people who are 18 years of age or older. Please listen responsibly.